What is up, freaks? It's your boy, Marty Ben, here to introduce this rip of TFTC. I sat down with Lisa Nygut from Blockstream, who's working on Sea Lightning. We had an incredible conversation, very fun conversation. She's a great conversationalist, Lisa. She has a really interesting story of how she got to Bitcoin uh, and specifically working on Sea Lightning. Uh, don't be shy, I think is the lesson from her story. I hope you guys enjoy it. I certainly did. Can't wait to have Lisa back on the podcast. This rip was brought to you by good friends at the motherfucking Cash Up. Cash Up sell you stack sets, send sets, receive sets, and sell sats. If you so please. You can send sats over the Lightning Network on Cash App now. They're rolling that out to people. I've done it. It's pretty cool. Um, Cash App can be your bank account. If you haven't downloaded the app yet, make sure you do so using the code stacking sats. S T A C K I N G S A T S. You're going to get $10. And $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. <laughs> Owls the cross. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital, who we now share office space with. Unchained's down the the hallway. We're in the Bitcoin Commons, the Austin Bitcoin Commons. This is TFTC's new studio in the Austin Bitcoin Commons. And so I, I get to walk out of the commons and the Unchained team's there. I get to say, what's up, guys? Keep working on your incredible product suite, which includes a multi-sig volt, a two or three multi-sig quorum in which you hold two keys. Unchained holds one key. Uh, and this is how you protect your Bitcoin. You leverage Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties. You eliminate single points of failure in this model. You don't hold your Bitcoin on an exchange. You don't hold it in a single SIG wallet. Instead, you leverage the collaborative custody model with Unchained to distribute risk, your, your private key risk. You, you, again, you hold two keys, so you can always move your Bitcoin when you want if you have those two keys and you're able to sign with them. Uh, if you're ever in a pinch and you only have one key, Unchained is there to be the second in the two two or three multi-seed quorum. They have a white glove concierge service that's going to take you from zero to having a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in a vault. Uh, the white glove service comes with multiple video conference calls. They're going to send you hardware wallets. They're going to make sure you're comfortable with everything. They're going to help you set everything up. And then again, they're going to dump a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats into your vault once it's all set up. If you tell them that TFTC sent you, you're going to get 10% off that package. They have a bunch of other things at Unchained. Go check out everything they have going on at Unchained.com. Incredible team here. Very proud and happy to be working down the ha hallway from them here at the Bitcoin Commons. This shirt was also brought to you by good friends at Brains. Brains. <clears throat> Brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Brains is the team behind Slush Pool, which is the oldest Bitcoin mining pool in the world. Uh, they're also the team behind Brains OS Plus firmware, auto-tuning firmware, which if you have an ASIC that's compatible with Brains OS Plus, you download it, the firmware onto that ASIC, and then you run that ASIC, you're going to stack more sats because you're going to be producing more hash. It's a beautiful thing. If you have a miner that is compatible with the Brains OS Plus firmware and you're not using it, you are leaving sats on the table. It's as simple as that. Beyond the auto-tuning firmware and slush pool. If you use the auto-tuning firmware and you point it at slush pool, you don't have to, but if you do, you get 0% pool fees. Nice little vig there. They have insights.brains.com, I-N-S-I-G-H-T-S.brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S. Uh, at insights.brains.com, you're going to get an incredible uh, suite of data tools for the mining industry. Uh, 
if you're running a mining business, you're going to want to go check out insights.brains.com. This show was also brought to you by good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is also another company leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig uh, properties. And what they're doing specifically is they're providing a lending product for you, a two or three uh, multi-sig escrow account in which you hold a key, your counterparty in the, the loan holds a key, and then Hoddle Hoddle holds the third key. What you do is you put Bitcoin in this two or three multi-sig quorum as collateral. You get stable coin liquidity in return. You go spend those stable coins as you see fit, and as long as you're paying back that uh, stable coin loan plus the interest associated with the loan, you're going to get your sats back at the end of the day. Uh, the beauty of this setup is, again, since you hold one of the keys in the two or three multi-sig quorum, you can't just unilaterally move the funds out of the account because that wouldn't make any sense. However, you do have visibility into the wallet, which uh, gives you peace of mind because you know that your sats aren't being rehypothecated and you don't have any default risk there uh, on the the lender side. And if you pay your your loan back, you're going to get your sats back. And you can see that because they're in the two or three multi-sig escrow account. Um, so go check this out at lend.hodlehodl.com. Should mention no KYC, no AML. Uh, it's it's the best way to get liquidity without giving up too much information. lend.hodlehodl.com. This show was also brought to you by our good friends at BTC Media, which is throwing Bitcoin 2022. Bitcoin 2022 is going to be the biggest Bitcoin event in the history of the world. Uh, it is being held in South Beach, Miami, uh, April 6th to the 9th, 6th to the 9th, South Beach, Miami. Uh, all four days will be jam-packed with exclusive content, exciting announcements, and an incredible lineup of Bitcoin speakers, artists, and leaders. Day one is industry day for enterprising Bitcoiners who are looking to build a business or career within the ecosystem. Day two and three are general conference days. Featuring speakers like El Salvador's president, Naib Bukele. Uh, he, apparently, he's got a big surprise coming out. Uh, CEO, uh, CEOs in space, including Michael Saylor, Elizabeth Stark, Jack Mallers, Adam Back, and, uh, Marty Bent, uh, and hundreds more. The, the conference caps off on the fourth day with the world's first and largest Bitcoin music festival, Sound Money Fest, which is headlined by rapper and fellow Bitcoiner Logic, Stevie Aoki, Got added to the list. CL, Run the Jewels, San Holo, San Holo, excuse me, Dead Mouse. They're all going to be there. Uh, last year's conference sold out, and this year's is on pace to be 3x larger. So make sure you grab your tickets before it's too late. Visit b.tc slash conference to learn more. Pay in Bitcoin to save and use the promo code TFTC for 10% off. And I'll see you in Miami. Matt and I will be doing a live rabbit hole recap. Enjoy this, Rip Freaks. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? It's your boy, Marty Vent, in the new studio. Lisa, you're the first guest in the new studio. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. Sorry, we're we're a bit, uh, we're, not, we're starting this an hour later than we originally agreed. We're trying to throw it together. It's chaotic. Thank you for, for bearing with us as we do all this. Anytime. I'm excited to be the first one. This is great. Well, uh, I'm excited to have you here for you freaks at home. 
This is Lisa Nygut from Blockstream, who works on Sea Lightning. I'm very excited to have you on because we haven't really dove into Sea Lightning here. We were just talking before we hit record about the inter implementation. I don't want to say squabbling, but uh, the way it negotiation, the negotiation yeah. happens. <laughs> is it a blip or a bolt? Uh, before we get into all that, I want to learn a little bit more about you. Like, how'd you get into Bitcoin and then specifically working on the Lightning Network and Sea Lightning? Yeah, yeah. It's actually kind of a funny story. It like takes, I'll, I'll try and I guess give the abridged version. Um, it, like, Bitcoin was like one of those things that, like I knew about for like a long time, but like, I don't know. Sometimes I kind of have to be the sort of person that like you have to like drag me into it to get me interested in it. Um, so like I started working my first like Bitcoin intro to Bitcoin was I actually got a job at the Cash App working on their Bitcoin backend in 2018. Oh, yeah. So I was working on like the custodial wallet team at Cash App for like for a little bit. And I read Mastering Bitcoin when I started on the job and like I was trying to transition. So I knew the Cash App team for like a few years before that because of my, I had been an Android dev. So like, that's kind of how I had like, I knew people on the team sort of thing. And they're like, we're hiring on the Bitcoin team. Do you want to work on Bitcoin? I was like, hell yeah. Like, yeah, I don't <laughs> work on Bitcoin. That sounds awesome. Anyway, so like I started, you know, kind of just actually learning stuff about Bitcoin while I was there. Read Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas, which is just an awesome book. Um, Really, like, actually, Andreas's book, like, really made me, like, be like, wow, this is so freaking cool. Like, Bitcoin's just, like, so cool as an engineering project. Like, it's just really, really cool. Um, yeah, and so then I kind of, like, got more into the bit process. And, like, I think everyone at some point on their journey into Bitcoin runs across the, um, I call it, like, the timestamp header bug. There's, like, the header in the Bitcoin block header, the Bitcoin block header, timestamp field will overflow at some point in like 2100 and something like eight. Yes. This is, uh, this is one of my favorite, uh, topics to talk about. I actually think we were talking about it last night. There isn't, you need to hard fork the protocol at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay. So I found this and I was like, okay, this is like, a, I, I found it. I actually re recognized it while I was reading Andreas's book. Cause I'm a total nerd. And I was like, Oh, this isn't going to work. Um, <laughs> and like, so then I was like, okay, but that like, once you have like a little problem that becomes a really good jumping off point to start digging deeper into like a big system, because you have like a very focused thing to like look at. Whereas if like you come at the bips and you're like, I don't know, newbie to Bitcoin, you have no idea what any of it is. It's just like, it's overwhelming. Right. Whereas like after reading Andreas's book, I kind of had this like small, I was like, okay, what would it take to change this? Right. Mm -hmm. and that's like a really specific thing you can then like start kind of investigating. You could ignore everything that isn't related to like the Bitcoin block header or like timestamp shit. Right. And you just kind of focus in. So, you know, in order to change Bitcoin, you have to write a blip, a bip. A, uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 You have to write a bip, which is a Bitcoin, I think, improvement proposal. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a whole bunch of them up on GitHub. So I was like going through them and like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I was just like concentrating on the ones that touch like the block header, or like the version stuff. And most of them were version related. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this is so random. I just like, you know, at the top of every BIP, there's an author's list and it lists emails. So I looked through a couple of them. I found one BIP that for whatever reason seemed like a good candidate. Um, like for what I wanted to change, which was the block header, right? There were three emails listed. It was Peter Todd, Rusty Russell, and someone else. I don't remember who the third person was. Sorry, third person. Um, <laughs> and I like, so like I do, I'm like kind of a little bit of a terrible like uh, stalker snoop on the internet. 
Um, like if I have a, um, I don't know. So I took the emails and I did what I always do with an email, which is pop it into Google and see what pops up mm -hmm. and like do like the like, okay, what can I learn about these people? So I found like Peter's blog and Rusty's blog. And for whatever reason, like reading Rusty's blog, I was like, Rusty's the right person to ask about this. So I sent Rusty just out of the blue, like this email. I was like, hey, here's the problem. It's like, here's like the thing I found. Here's what I've been doing to look into it. Like, is anyone working on this? Is it worth fixing? Whatever, whatever. And this was like, I was like a month into like my job at Square. Like I had just started this new job, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, just started working on Bitcoin shit. And I wanted to just like randomly found some guy's email and just sent him an email. Like, hey, <laughs> um, like, uh, well, like, you know, let's like talk about this. And he was like, oh yeah, it took him like, but then like, you know, and I kind of like, even within Square, like tried to find some friends that I had on the Cash App team to like be like, hey, this would be kind of a fun thing to do, like spare time, whatever. And my friend's like, oh, I'm too freaking busy. I can't. So like for a little while, I was like trying to like, I don't know, figure out what it would take to do this, like sort of as a side project at work. Meanwhile, like I'm supposed to be learning about like Square's like system, you know, like <laughs> it's like a whole big code base, all like in Java and stuff. Um, yeah. I think they've moved over mostly. They've been, when I left in 2018, they were moving, starting the move over to Kotlin. I think they're moving a lot of stuff over now. Anyways, let's like separate. Anyway, so I sent this email and then I started actually getting into like work stuff. Like I got like a project. I was actually working on the pipeline to enable deposits into Cash App. Um, so I started working on that stuff. And then a few months later, Rusty emails me back. And I was like, wow, great question. Here, let me like put you in touch with Peter Willa, who like <laughs> knows more about this. And like, I have, okay, like here's the thing though. I had no idea who any of these people are. Mm -hmm. like, I have like zero idea who I'm talking to or like who I've emailed or any of it. I've like emailed a rando on the internet and he like finally wrote me back two months later. And I'm like, okay, great. And so like at that point, I like sent them some stuff. And then Peter and I have this exchange where we go back and forth where we're like, how would we fix this? And like, I'm like, I think it ends as like, okay, let me like write a few tests and I'll get back to you. Cause some of the stuff you had suggested like wasn't gonna work because of the way that um, the end lock time stuff rolls over. Anyways, there's like, you can't really let it roll over because the end lock time, um, the way that the end lock time thing does is there's like a point at which underneath a certain number, those are block heights. Mm -hmm. And then above it, it's actually like the timestamp. So if you let the timestamp field roll over, all of a sudden you have this problem where you don't know if it's actually a timestamp or a block height for lock time stuff. Anyway, so it wasn't as simple as like, oh, we'll just let it roll over and it'll be fine. Um, so the problem we're describing has specifically to do with the way like Unix timestamping was implemented in Bitcoin, right? Yeah. There's, what do they call it, the 20... 2068 problem, but it won't happen in Bitcoin until like 2106. Yeah, because they have an extra bit. So the mm -hmm. amount of time you have doubles. Yeah. Because of the way that powers of two work. But yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So it'll roll. So a bench. So basically what that means is it's like, <clears throat> you know how like, I don't know, you like have like a clock and it's got counters and like each of the numbers slips over. It goes from zero to one mm. or one all the way up to nine. And then when you get to nine, what happens? It goes back to zero. It flips back to zero. And so if you have like, so if you think about like data, like a data type in a computer, it's like, basically it's like having like, you know, so many counters in a row and you just keep flipping them up. At some point you get to the highest number you can flip all those numbers up to, right? And mm -hmm. what happens when it flips over? You go back to zero and does that like confuse the Bitcoin network? Exactly. That's the question. Yeah, that's right? the question, right? Yeah. So the problem is at some point it's going to flip all the way over to zero and it's going to happen and like, we can calculate out when that's going to happen sometime in 2100 and something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I got yelled at at the honey and I didn't get yelled at. 
but at the Baltic Honey Badger <laughs> conference in like 2018 or 2019. Uh, I forget exactly what year it was. I asked Adam Beck. He was on stage. It was like, I think the con, the topic of the conversation was about soft forks, hard forks, and like protocol upgrades. Mm. I was like, don't we have something we definitely need to hard fork? Mm. Uh, well, that's the question, for? right? That's what yeah. I was talking to Peter about back in 2018. And like the thing is like, yeah, at some point. So if you can handle it in software, uh, is that a hard fork? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, something's going to have to change. I get really confused on like the difference between hard forks and soft forks. Not going to lie. Like, but yeah, something. Yeah, there's going to have to be an update pushed. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And that, that's like the whole question around this particular Unix time stepping problem in Bitcoin is like, do we do it later? And a lot of people are like, no, let people in the future think about it. I'm like, yeah. yeah, when it hits 2100 on like the wall clock, they can, then we can start thinking about it because then they'll have like, I think either like eight to 20 years to yeah. fix it. And then it's going to be like Y2K all over again. It's like the Y2K yeah. for the uh, future generations. Yeah. That was, that was, a, that was uh, as a, like a nine year old in 2000, the whole Y2K. Uh, yeah lead up to that was very, very interesting. What the hell was going on, mommy and daddy? Yeah, yeah. People were worried about it. I actually, so I've, I've had like a weird career. I worked at Walmart one summer in their information systems department in Bentonville, Arkansas. So I spent three months in Bentonville. I had a great time. I actually, you can kind of hear it. Like when I was working there, I like picked up a bit of an accent. You got a twang? I got a twang. I mean, it's kind of, but I like really put it on when I worked there because I realized that my coworkers would like, pay attention. They could like understand me. <laughs> That's <Got> terrible. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, I worked there for three months. I had a great time. It was really fun. Walmart's an incredible organization. Like, I mean, they have to be, right? They're like the biggest. Like, they're pretty massive. They're big and they like have, they work in like every comp any every country. And like, so their information systems department's pretty cool. They're like weirdly cutting edge in like weird ways. And this is, I worked there a long time ago, but um Anyway, one of like the guys in the group had like worked on the Y2K project, like Walmart, <laughs> like keeping Walmart systems up had like, yeah, it was funny. He seemed, it was like years later and he still kind of seemed kind of scarred about it. Yeah. I mean, it turned out to be a nothing burger, right? Because people like him worked real hard to make sure yeah. that everything still worked. Yeah. So he was like one of the guys in office space that was uh, <laughs> just going in and manually doing everything. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Thank yeah. I think it was a lot of work. Thank you for filling out all those TPS reports. Uh, <laughs> but we're here to talk about Bitcoin. So you're at Square, emailing Peter Woola and Rusty. Yeah, and at some point, problem. at some point, I mean, let's, okay, let's be honest. Like at this point, like I write Java. I've been an Android engineer for a long time. I kind of took a break and worked for this WebRTC company, which was like Redux, um, uh, React, JS, like stuff for a year. So like that was JavaScript. Now I'm like back in Square, which is like all Java and some Kotlin stuff. And like talking to Peter and Rusty and I'm like looking through the Bitcoin core, which is all C++. So it's like, I don't know C++. I have never written a line of C++ in my life. And I'm like in this email thread, just like talking to Peter, like, you know, being like, hey, I mean, I, I can look through the code base and had found everywhere that I would probably need to change to like make it work or whatever. And talking to Peter and like at some point I'm like, yeah, let me like write some tests and I'll get back to you. Like, have I ever compiled Bitcoin core? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, I will figure this out and get back to you though. Like Lisa's like, I was like, yeah, sure. I'll figure it out. It won't be a big deal. Anyways, I never actually got around to doing it because I was like, fine, whatever. Um, but Rusty was like, hey, we're like interviewing for a new lightning. We have like a lightning protocol 
position we're trying to fill. Do you want to like apply for it? And I was like, dude, I just started a new job. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Rusty poaching. Yeah. But I was like, that sounds awesome. Like, yeah. I mean, like, do I want this job? Yes. Does it feel responsible to like leave this organization, like to leave Square and like the like um, I've been working on, like, you know, I'm working on like the deposits project. Like I'm going to leave this thing in the lurch, whatever. But I was like, mm, yeah, OK, yeah. Like, let's, oh, like he like he was like, OK, we'll just interview. I was like, OK, fine. I will interview and I will let you tell me no, because like I don't know. See, I've never worked on a protocol before. Like I don't actually know anything. Um Anyways, but yeah, they ended up offering me the job. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's an incredible journey to, to Blockstream and random email. Yeah. After finding a blockheader problem. Yeah, in a random book. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, um, yeah, super freaking random. And like, yeah, but it's been fun. It's been great. I don't know. I have no regrets, you know. Like, well, you said when you were reading Mastering Bitcoin, there was something about the project from a software engineering perspective that you're like, this is cool. What, what about Bitcoin specifically? It's just like so well engineered in terms of like how all the pieces fit together to make a working system and like how the incentives. So like, I'm also like, I really like kind of like economics, incentive design, like that kind of thinking, like how people mm -hmm. work, what makes people do things is like interesting. Um, and the thing that's so cool about Bitcoin is like, I would say it's probably one of the first real tech projects that like married incentive design with protocol design and like did it in like a really incredible way. Like we've seen a lot, like a lot of like the crypto industry now, there's like, I think a lot of people like playing with this idea in really interesting in different ways, like outside of Bitcoin. But like Satoshi, like, was a, you know, he was like pioneering that way. I mean, I, I mean, I think he should get a, a Nobel Prize. It's, uh, it's, yeah. It's and that. like, yeah, like no joke. Yeah. And like, so, I mean, I didn't study computer science in undergrad. Like I went to the University of Texas, which we're down the street from, which is cool. Hook them. Um, but uh, I had to get a hook them in there. Yeah, I gotta, yeah. <laughs> but um, I studied like I did like liberal arts and business stuff. Like I didn't like do regular, regular computer science classes. So, like part half of my career in technology, I've been working as a software developer for a decade now. Um, but like the part of like getting into computer science, it's always been this question to me of like, okay, what do they teach you in undergrad? Like, what do you learn? What do computer science grads walk out of the door knowing that I don't know if that makes sense? Mm -hmm. It's like kind of just like this, I mean, I'm a pretty curious person. I'm always just like, what on earth did they? And I've never like sat down and like actually looked at all this stuff. Maybe I've glanced at a few syllabuses, but I'm like, that's too much work. I'll like figure it out just by like talking to people or whatever. Anyways, some point I figured out there's this whole field called distributed computing. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, one of my, um, one of my coworkers, Christian Decker, got a PhD in like the distributed computing field. Um, he ended up studying Bitcoin. So Christian was like the first PhD person to get a deep masters in, or like whatever the thesis is on Bitcoin. But he started out, he was in the distributed computing like group, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so Bitcoin was like solving problems that for a long time in computer science were considered distributed computing problems. Okay. So at some point I read a distributed computing textbook um, and it talks about all the different ways that people had thought about to write protocols to get computers that are in different places to all kind of understand the world at the same place, right? They call it consensus. Mm -hmm. So like we have a whole bunch of computers that are like spread out over a big distance. How do you all get them to like agree 
on what the state of the world is at that particular moment. Well, you, you got to, this is the Byzantine general's problem, right? Like, well, that's you? like one solution to it, right? Well, it's kind of like, yeah, actually that's like the Byzantine general's problem is like, okay, but what do you do if like some people are lying, right? Yeah. 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 So that's like, but that's, yeah. And that comes from this distributed computing, like subgroup of computer science thought and problem thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And like the thing that like, so I read this textbook and it doesn't mention Nakamoto consensus because Nakamoto consensus is so like, and like the thing about, the Satoshi white paper, like, you know, Bitcoin in general is that like, it was like a novel step forward in like how we think about consensus is using like these time chains, blockchains, whatever, mm -hmm. to, um, to keep track of like, what is like the next val, like, what is the valid state that everyone agrees on? And it's the blockchain. And like, that is like, I don't know. I'm not sure what the formal definition of Nakamoto consensus is. I know there is one, but like at some point, and this was like recently, I guess. I mean, I've only been in Bitcoin for like three and a half years, so like three years now. Anyways, but like um, the like Nakamoto consensus is a novel advancement in the field of distributed computing. You know, like it yeah. wasn't in the textbook yet. Like, no. and I read the textbook like two years ago. You know what I mean? And like, how long has the white paper been out? Like. 13 years at least. Yeah. And so it's like really interesting to me that like, I think there's like a whole industry now, like there's a whole crypto industry that uses Nakamoto consensus, which is blockchains to like do distributed computing, like at scale, et cetera. And like, I don't know, this textbook I read like two years ago, didn't even mention it. Yeah. I don't think. It's the, hey, the textbook writers are, are, are slacking right now. Yeah. So like, there's definitely like a disconnect between like what's going on in like industry and like what's going on in academia, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, that's typical. Yeah, it's super typical. Academia <laughs> is always a few steps behind and never really over the target either. Yeah. Um, Anyways. We're, yeah, we're in the binding industry. We're, we're dealing with academia writing terrible papers about energy consumption and Bitcoin destroying the earth. And oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the other thing too. I bring up mining industry because that is one of the interesting things about Nakamoto consensus and the incentive mechanism that Satoshi designed to me is like now it has like external uh, things that are external to the Bitcoin network and its incentive system like energy producers like, oh, are we wasting energy? Let's put a Bitcoin mine on here. Like we'll make more money and it's like starting to affect other industries and, and sectors of the economy and then those effects within those the small industries will then have ripple effects within their industries and it's like it's going to touch everything it's crazy i you know i like feel like i've had tried to have conversations with people that are outside bitcoin and that for a long time were like anti-bitcoin like so I got into Bitcoin 2018 and I like started working at Square and I'm like in these chat groups with a lot of lady engineers that like um tend to be, I think, more, I would say, on, like, the leftist pop. Like, I don't know. Anyways, I was, like, at some point I was trying to get all my lady engineer friends to give me $10,000 each so I could start a Bitcoin mining operation <laughs> to, like, um, so we could, like, so, like, we as lady, as women would have our own Bitcoin, if that makes sense, was, like, the thing. I was, like, there's all these boys are getting this Bitcoin girls. Like, let's put our money together. Let's, like, get some Bitcoin because the boys are going to get all the Bitcoin and that's not, like, <laughs> like, that's not right, dudes. Like, let's just, like, let's get, so, like, I, you know, I, like, kind of, like, talked in a group and then, you know, when you're, like, a um, little bit of, like, I guess, alpha as you call it for people who are doing like community organizing you also need to like do one-on-one -on -one chats with everyone outside of the group so if you're trying to like move the group consensus make sure you talk to everyone you're trying to get a decision out of beforehand one-on-one -on -one. anyways um it's a good tidbit yeah um 
Like you talk to every single person before you end up in that room where the decision is being made. Um, anyways, <laughs> like, uh, not that I do this, but anyways, um, the, uh, yeah. So I was like, so then I was like DMing everyone, right. Individually also to be like, Hey, this is like a really good idea. Let's like do this thing. I will like make it happen. I just need capital investment from you all, my friends. <laughs> I'll like handle like getting the equipment. I don't know how I was going to do this again. This is like me being like, I will like, yeah, just plug it in at the office or we'll, we'll be stacking sets. This is like very similar to me being like on the lake. Oh, I'll like figure out how to run your C plus plus project and like write some tests. I was like, don't worry about the details guys. Like I just need the capital and we'll make this happen. Like I'll figure it out. Um, none of them are interested. Every single one of them told me that they had severe like um, reservations about the energy usage of Bitcoin and they like didn't want to participate in it because of that. And yeah. like, yeah, anyway, so that's like the group of people I've been talking to about it. And I'm like, recently I'm like, guys, you don't understand like having a like buyer of last resort for energy like changes the game. And first resort, buy our first resort and last resort. It changes the game. It's <laughs> It completely changes the game. And like, it's so hard to like, I think this is like kind of one of those interesting things where like no one, we all use electricity every day, every single one of us. No one has any idea. How it's produced or delivered or. Or it's like what the pricing mechanics are or like kind of how fucked up all the pricing shit is, like the utility level stuff and like. Yeah, like, I mean, it is a monopoly and like a lot of them. Oh, there was a great tweet this morning by Judge, so like uh, Judge Alsop out of California. Mm -hmm. Do you, he's like famous from the Google versus Oracle case around Java. Okay. He's like really famous in most tech circles for being like, he actually took the time to learn to code to like be able to offer like a good concrete judgment yeah. on this like Google case. That was a few years ago. Just today they released. So he's been, so PG&E is a big public utility that mm -hmm. has a monopoly is my understanding on a lot of like the California distribution stuff. They've been in trouble, which is like slightly different than production. You know, I'll get that, but it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's a public utility and it's monopoly and they've been setting fires in California for the last five years. Like intentionally? No, but like their equipment is so um, out of date. They're so behind on maintenance and haven't invested in keeping their, their grid up because okay. there's no competition. Well, California's got terrible grid problems. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But like, anyways, there's this great like letter, small snippet that came across my feed this morning from Judge Alsip. So they've been in probation because like they broke the law and then they ended up in probation like a criminal, like this big corporate entity has basically been like in probation with the like, state of California and this judge has been presiding over it and the five years are up. And so they can like statutorily, which means according to the laws as they are, cannot extend the probation any longer. And mm -hmm. also it's just like, this dude is like a repeat offender. They keep lighting, like things keep happening. They're not keeping up with their like maintenance shit. I can't do anything, but like, as an like as a whatever community, we gotta like fix it. I don't know. Yeah, call it's them like out. Fucked up shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, California's got not only I didn't know their grids were outdated and uh, dilapidated like Super you just described. Outdated. Uh, they're decommissioning reliable uh, reliable nuclear natural gas plants. Oh, that makes me so upset when that happens. I'm sorry. Like the whole nuclear thing. I'm just like, why, guys, stop it. Like, why? Hey. Why are you hitting yourself? Right. <laughs> stop hitting yourself. It's. <laughs> It's mind blowing. It's uh, we well, we live and again, like going back to your uh, lady developer friends who mm -hmm. are like, oh, we have reservations because of the energy. It's like weird too. Like people don't know how any of this happens. Uh, I mean, 
like, so my, my take on Twitter has been recently, like, I've been like, I don't know, just kind of like, people are like kind of yelling about the Kazakhstan thing because they're just burning all their coal. Sure, fair. Yes, correct. They're burning all the coal. Kazakhstan? Kazakhstan? Kazakhstan. <laughs> Kazakhstan. <laughs> That one, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they. Um, Don't worry, I, I'm like a I'm a chronic mispronouncer of words here. So. Cool, same, <laughs> great. Uh, yeah. Anyways, and I'm like, wait, where was I going with this? You're Kazakhstan. I'm like, we can't deliver any of this. Lady friends of reservations. Oh yeah, and I'm like, okay, like you don't really care what they're using the energy for. You just care that they're burning a bunch of fossil fuels. Why don't we like cut to the chase and just ban fossil fuels? Oh well, don't. No. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not do that. But it would solve like all the people are complaining about. Like okay, like it wouldn't solve anything. If we're gonna ban something. Let's ban the thing that's actually causing the environmental issues, let's, right? Let's ban let's ban talking about these issues <laughs> if you actually don't understand how any of this stuff works. That's what I want to do. But it but it seems really like if you you could ban all the cryptocurrency in the world and that won't stop the environmental problem that you claim to care about. Yes. It's, I don't think there's an environmental problem personally. It, yeah, but but assuming that you think there's an environmental problem, yeah. you're starting from this basis and you're like your rational conclusion is that we should ban cryptocurrency. It's like, well, I think you're missing a step here. Do you actually want to save the environment? The cryptocurrency isn't the problem. It's the source of its energy. And it's not all cryptocurrency that's using that source of energy. Yeah. Why don't you like, why don't you put all your energy, like emotional energy towards banning the thing that's actually causing the problem and not something that's like. Yeah, well, ugh. yeah, it's so frustrating. Again, going back to just the, the pure reality that most of these people don't understand any of the intricacies that a lot of energy is being wasted. We waste a shit ton of the energy that we produce. Like, let's focus on being more efficient with that. Yeah. Um, and like, I'm not saying like oil and gas, I'm a big fan of, I don't think, uh, I don't think there's an environmental, like existential crisis on our hands. But with that being said, like we shouldn't pollute, should be efficient, should be as clean as possible. Like we should, steward the earth uh, with intent, which I think we have done a very good job of in, uh, in recent years too. Like we've reduced what is the largest driver of carbon reduction in the United States. It's natural gas because it helped us decommission coal plants because we have oh, more reliable natural gas. That's cool. It's like oil and gas is actually one of the biggest drivers of carbon emissions. That's something you care about, I think. But this is... We can get deep down this rabbit hole. I don't want to go deep down. Where he, I want to. I really want to talk about lightning and sea lightning and like how. Oh yeah. I mean, it's pretty impressive that you went from Java Android developer working at Cash App. You email Rusty, talk with Peter a little bit. Rusty poaches you, and then like, I mean, you're one of the most prominent sea lightning developers in the world right now. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? I mean, I think Rusty and Christian are also like yes. very much deserve to be more prominent. They've definitely written more lines of code in that code base than I have. Yeah. Well, that's well, that's <laughs> but, the thing. Let's get it. Like why sea lightning? Mm. How would you describe it? And how before we get into the uh the negotiations between protocols, how would you you really want to, you're looking forward to this. It's cool. It's well, cool no, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm um, looking forward to it because I'm genuinely curious. Like, because as somebody who is in Bitcoin, has been in Bitcoin, mm -hmm. champions Lightning, who's building businesses on Lightning and leveraging it, like, all right, like, 
what is the, I want a clearer picture of the future and how this all works together. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, sea lightning for a long time, we called ourselves the reference implementation and that like the goal of it was that it would be a C like back in the day, reference implementations were mostly done in C. Mm -hmm. So Rusty's like, we're going to write a reference implementation of the protocol in C. Um, Rusty, Matt Russell, who's my coworker, generally you could think of him as like the editor in chief of like the bolts. He's written the vast majority of them. Not to say other people have didn't contribute or helped to a lot of it, but the actual authorship was like a lot of his. So and bolt stands for basis. Mm, <laughs> <laughs> basis of lightning technology, I think. Yes, yes. Basis of lightning technology. It's a backronym. They wanted it to say bolts, and then they just invent some letters, uh, some words. They afterwards. backed into it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a backronym. Um, but yeah, it's bolts. Um, so Rusty was, is really a big driving force behind a lot of the spec stuff, especially early on. Um, now I, I really believe it's more of a collaborative effort, but I, my understanding is like the early years, it was really that. So C Lightning was Rusty's implementation of the Lightning stuff in C. Um, and so I think we've like kind of tried to be definitely more focused on like, being the reference implementation and like having just like, okay, we do what the spec says. Um, yeah. Um, so we haven't like, I think I say that cause like, I don't, we haven't really been focused on much on like use usability of the, the node. Like it's very, it's usable, but I think like, um, I think the easiest way to kind of explain this difference is like for a long time, we didn't have a way you could set up a lightning node and then call it over like an HTTP over the web. Mm -hmm. Um, we use like very Unixy style ways of doing that, which aren't really. There's not a lot of people that know how to handle or use that or like like stuff. Whereas um, I think L and D had a much better understanding that they needed to be embedded inside an ecosystem of developers that were using web technologies to like access it. So they mm -hmm. used like um, they added features to their node early on that made it really easy to like build on top apps on top of it, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's like kind of like one of the different, I think that's like a big kind of philosophical, philosophical difference <laughs> of uh, the two. Um, yeah. So C Lightning, I think is definitely more Unix C because Rusty was a long time kernel maintainer for Linux. Mm -hmm. oh. um, he was actually, yeah. Fun fact about Rusty. He was one of like Linus Torvald's like lieutenants. What? I don't know exactly what, software package he was like managing. I think there are a couple, but like, yeah, he's like been in the open software C development scene for decades. So he knows his shit. He knows his shit. And that's like why having him do a lot of the protocol stuff makes sense. Was incredible for the Lightning Network. Yeah. Because he has decades of like protocol level experience that the Lightning Network got to like benefit from. Well was it multifaceted sense of benefit from the, the code that he writes and then the process of, yeah. of and adding he, and reviewing and all that stuff. Yeah. Or? And he, I think he was probably the biggest driver behind the process of how the bolts would get moved forward, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, he's brought a lot, decades of expertise of managing kind of large open source projects to lightning scene. Rusty, if you're out there and you're listening, I hope you're enjoying your vacation. <laughs> 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 yeah. Thank yeah. you for all the work you do. Um, yeah. And so Rusty had the intent of this being like a reference implementation. Mm -hmm. We got the bolt process. We got the bolt process. And yeah, now we've got Sea Lightning and we've got a great team of people. And the like, we have a 
pretty decent size. And it's not huge. It's like maybe 10 people of like contributors that don't work at Blockstream mm-hmm. that come in and add stuff to the project. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. So how, how do you think people, like somebody, again, like me, like building a business, somebody's thinking about building a business. I was just showing you that getmash.com that looked pretty cool. So cool. Like uh, somebody wants like, enable micropayments on the web and paywalled content. Mm-hmm. Like, how would they do this with Sea Lightning? Uh, so the good news is that we're going to start shipping a way that you can interact with the node over like the web in our next release. Boss. So it's like probably a few years later than maybe would have been amazing, but it's like our next release, we're definitely going to have it. We're super excited. Christian Decker's been working on it for the last month or two. Um, he's actually porting over a lot. Of, it's going to be our first Rust in Sea Lightning, so it won't be pure Sea Lightning. But it's like in a plugin, so it's not in the core stuff. Um, plugins are basically little apps you can write that interact really closely with the node, and in some cases modify the behavior. Um, anyone can write one, um, but there's a couple that we ship with the the um, binaries, so it just works out of the box, and that'll be one of them. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it'll be like a standardized interface that you can then use to build apps on top of. That seems pretty dope. Yeah. What, like since C Lightning's written in C, I think that's another thing that goes into uh, the, the evaluation of these these uh, different Lightning implementations. I like C is considered um, like a very clean and predictable language, correct? Yeah, and slightly more performant, I think. Mm-hmm. The thing, C is really cool. Like, I I would only recently call myself very proficient in C. It's taken a few years, which is fair. Um, but C is so freaking cool as a language. Like, having come from, like, JavaScript. And, I mean, I love Go. And um, Java, I was a longtime Java developer in the app world. Um, like, C is just, it gives you, it's like, it's kind of like having a really sharp knife. You can make really cool, intricate designs with a sharp knife. Mm-hmm. But if you're not careful, you can slice your finger off. Yeah. Um, be blood everywhere kind of thing. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I'm like reaching that level of artisanship where it's like anytime I move to a different language, I'm like, but I don't have, but my knife isn't that sharp. Like I can't make the like fine grain little cuts. It's a lot more responsibility mm-hmm. of writing a C app is you have to manage and maintain and kind of keep track of memory which is like a thing that in other languages have little like maids that come around and clean up behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, but in C, you're responsible for doing that. But because you have control and responsibility for that to some extent, it gives you the ability to do things in more compact and like performant ways. Okay. Yeah. Which I think is cool. Maybe Rust does the same thing. I haven't ever used Rust. I know people really like it. Rust is hot right now. At some point, I will learn Rust. Not today. Um, <laughs> like, but it would be really fun to kind of just see like how much control Rust gives you over yeah. certain things. That's what LDK was written in Rust, right? It is, yeah. 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 Though, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> like, I shouldn't. Yeah, well, no. Go say it. Come on. You're going to say something. Mm. Yeah, I've heard. So Rust was uh, Matt Corrala or LDK was Matt Corrala's first Rust project. And I hear that there's a lot of like rusty idioms that it's not the it's not the most rustish app that exists <laughs> because it was written by someone who was new to the language. I'm sure he's got a huge team of people who know Rust. Um, I'm sure he's like a lot better at Rust now than he probably was when he started it a few years ago. But I've definitely heard feedback that it's like not the most idiomatic Rust project that exists. It's a C developer writing Rust. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you should see me write Python. It's like the seeiest Python you've ever seen. You should see me write HTML, CSS. It's pretty <laughs> terrible. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, the, uh, so when we were DMing like months ago to come on, you're like, we're waiting for this big release, then I'm going to come on. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because I was going to talk about the liquidity ad stuff. Yeah. The dual funding thing. Let's talk about it. Oh, my God. That the dual funding cool. thing is. Uh, exciting for many reasons. It's really, I yeah, I get excited about it. Yeah, because it, it could add privacy, on-chain privacy benefits, correct? Some, yeah. It kind of depends on what level of privacy you're, man, this is an interesting question. So like, part of the reason that I think the L&D team has not signals that they support the dual funding protocol that I've written and implemented, um, they, my understanding, based on a conversation that happened in 2018, so it might be a little outdated, has to do with this privacy stuff. So we should talk about it. Yes. Um, yeah. So the general thing with the the dual funding thing is it lets you build a, a transaction with a peer, with mm-hmm. another Lightning Node peer. Downside of when you're building a transaction with another peer is you have to tell them what your inputs are. So... The great thing is, so then it kind of becomes this like, so let me, let's zoom out a little bit. Okay, so ideally you can build a transaction with a peer um, or with multiple peers at the same time. And in C-Lightning, it's actually implemented that you could open a channel with two or three people at the same time and all of you produce one transaction and everyone puts their own inputs in, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it's a decentralized protocol basically for building kind of your own coin joints um, that have the outputs, like that some of the outputs are lightning channel outputs, which is pretty cool. Yeah. No, it sounds a lot like join market. Yeah. Except you don't have to pay a fee to anyone. The benefit is you get a lightning channel that's open. And then another nice thing about it is that right now when you open a lightning channel, only one side has an opportunity via the protocol that exists to put funds in it. People have built like stuff on other layers, but at the end of the day, those are kind of complicated to do because only one side like constructs the transaction, so to speak. And then you need like a whole nother way of communicating, et cetera. So mm-hmm. we wrote this whole protocol that lets you negotiate with another peer and both of you can add money to the channel, which means when the channel opens, you can use it both ways. You could receive money or send money immediately as soon as it opens in the same channel, which is kind this of- is massive. Yeah, which is like right. the whole goal of the project was to make it such that when you open a channel, both sides can already put money into the channel. Yeah, because this thing- we're the most common way to open a channel now and like create uh, liquidity on both sides. If somebody opens a channel with me and then I open one with them. Yeah, but then you have two channels, which is more expensive for gossip reasons because every channel you open creates three new gossip messages. So like gossip grows, every time you open a new channel, the gossip burden gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yes. Um, Sea Lightning pretty much forever has always been like, you can only have one channel per peer which helps save on the amount of gossip that we generate. Which is like a, des- a design constraint that was intentionally put on sea yeah. yeah. And one of the reasons was that, well, we'll have splicing soon, which means you can move money in and out of the channel um, while it's still open, basically. Um, it's basically like dual funding, except that it happens while the channel's open instead of at the open. Mm-hmm. Basically, you can like renegotiate it. And then they could be like, well, people could always splice more money in or out if they needed to. Anyways, there's like the whole like multi-channel thing is kind of interesting. We're actually, we're like this release, we're like doing, I would call like our usability release. We're adding the ability to do multiple channels per node just because so many people's workflows have developed 
that way because of all the limitations in the original thing. So we're adding it so people can still use their same workflows, but do it on Sea Lightning, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so that'll be new for us as well as like this RPC thing. So now you can like talk to it over the web. It's going to be a whole new wild world for Sea Lightning. <laughs> like, What's an example of one of these workflows? Here? Well, like you just did mention, if you want to yeah. get liquidity going both directions, you both have to open a channel and put funds. So yeah. you both have to have a chain. You both have to have a UTXO on chain create it independently, right? Yeah, you have Whereas, to move, you each have to move a UTXO. So. Yeah, exactly. And there's yeah. now there's two UTXOs in chain, one for each of those channels, mm -hmm. one for the channel you open and one for the channel I opened. Whereas with dual funding, one channel's open, which means there's only one UTXO that ends up on chain mm -hmm. for that channel. And we only have one channel, but you both put funds in it, which is cool. So you combine, yeah, you combine inputs into one. No. It's one, it's one transaction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's cool. Like, so, okay. So it's cool because you can get like, and like, like I said, if you do it correctly, like, so the hard part about doing the dual funding then becomes coordination, which is what the second project I worked on last year comes into play and is really cool. But like, for you can, but like, yeah, on Sea Lightning, you could open a channel with like three different people and then you send all, basically, you have to send, it's a lot of like, you have to send all of the inputs and outputs to everyone. So they all have a copy of the transaction. Mm -hmm. And then they all send their signatures. Everyone gets signatures and the whole copy of the transaction. So they can each independently broadcast it, you know, so if like, whatever. Um, yeah, but anyway, so you end up with this big transaction that's got like a bunch of people's channels opens in it. And then that goes out. And like, right now on Lightning, um, if you open a channel, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. Um, if you open a channel on Lightning right now, it's a pretty good assumption for the most part. There's a few other services and stuff that kind of like mess this up. I think I haven't used pools, so I can't really talk too much about it, but I think they might be one of the exceptions. But generally, when you open a channel, it means that one one of the nodes has put money on it. So you know that that, that UTXO on chain belongs to that node mm -hmm. that opened that channel. And you know that probably all the inputs are from their node and all the output is to them. But if you build a UTI, if you build like a multi-channel open on C Lightning using dual funding and all your peers are also doing the dual funding thing, then you end up with a, with a transaction on chain where it's really hard to tell. You may be like four channels open. How do you know whose inputs and whose outputs? Or whose. Or whose. Yeah. yeah. And when the Lightning outputs, like the into the lightning channel opens is like two people's funds, right? Mm -hmm. So it's funds from two different people. So that sum like adds up to like. How did channel announcements come into play here? Is that an area where somebody's privacy can be? Yeah. So the channel announcement is where you say, hey, this is the channel announcement contains four signatures, two that commit to, hey, I am this node like, cause there's two nodes, there's one from each node. And then there's also a signature that says there is a UTXO in the set now in like the mind UTXO set or whatever. What do you call that? Yeah. UTXO set. Yeah. Yeah. There's now a UTXO in the UTXO set. You can find it here. And here is our proof that we as nodes can spend these two pub keys that are locked up in that thing. So mm -hmm. you can go, so anyone anyone can go take that channel announcement, go find the UTXO and verify that they actually have power to control that UTXO. Yes. So you know that that channel is backed by real funds. Or you just, you don't know that they can control because they Yeah, because well, them, they provide signatures uh, they do to the pub keys that are listed in the UTXO. Okay. So you have, so they have to prove, you know, if you, 
sign a different message using the same key mm -hmm. that's attached to that pub key, then that's proof that you control yes. that thing. Yeah. And so if you have a signature from each of them, you have proof that they can spend it. So yes. they basically prove like, yeah, we have these funds and we can use them. And so you can send money through this channel because it's backed by this right here. Yes. And you can go find it. Yeah, it's a fascinating system. It's really brilliant, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. And that's like... Yeah. And so... Do you think dual funded channels become the like what are what are some of the Well, so here's the thing that like the feedback we got from some people when we were talking about the protocol is the downside to so it's, this is I mean, this is amazing for on-chain security in terms of doing coin joins, et cetera. It's awesome. The problem is that suddenly you have a protocol where someone can ask you what your UTXOs are because they're like, hey, I'm gonna do an open with you here's my UTXO, what's your UTXO, yeah. et cetera. So I'll, that's, show you, I'll show you mine, you show me yours. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've got like some, there's like a, what do you call it? We have a suggestion of how to like do something very similar to join market where basically you like tell people that like someone has like sent you a UTXO and then that makes it such they can't use it on anyone else, et cetera. Um, I think this is also where you kind of need, what's really useful is like, um, if you have a stand, long-standing relationship, once you have a channel with another peer, you kind of trust them, right? Mm -hmm. Because you need them to stay online. You're trusting them to like receive and send payments. Yes. Like you having a channel relationship is basically like a, it's a peering relationship. Like they, you need them to be up all the time. They need you to be up all the time. So like, you know, there's kind of like, Picking who to open channels with, I think, is a little bit of an interesting question, sort of meta question also. Like, you want to pick peers that are good peers. Like, yes. they're going to route your payments. They're not going to, like, fuck with you. They're not going to try and steal your money. And how do you know they're good peers? That's yeah, so, like, so that's, like, a whole that's like a whole reputation thing. And it's not really, I feel like, that's, like, a hard question. But I think, like, it kind of comes around to this dual funding thing where, like, and my whole thing with it is, like, well, maybe you have one UTXO that you send to everyone. And then like, if they don't open the channel or like you start with a low amount when you first start, like, you know, kind of, it's a hard problem. Yeah. You kind of have to do share this information in order to get the benefit of having the coin join at the end. Right. Yes. Um, and in order to do this in a decentralized way without a centralized coordinator, like you do kind of have to like expose a little bit of your two XO set in order to make this happen. And my understanding is that the um, LND team is really does not like this. This is the thing that they are like, uh, we don't want to add that to L&D. So that is... Why is, what is their consternation? Um, I think, well, it's just that, that then now you have a protocol that someone could ask you what your UTXO set is. And I'm yeah. like, well, I think you can write policies that make it such that you protect your UTXO set a little bit better. One. Do you need the whole set? Or no, you, well, it's it kind of like, you, no, you just need to give, if you want to put money in the channel, you have to tell them what your a UTXO is, right? Yeah. You don't have to give them all of it. You don't have to even, you don't have to participate if you don't want to. If someone tries to open a channel with you and you're like, actually, I don't think I like you. Or whatever, whatever you could don't have to. It's like totally optional, right? Yeah. Um, so that's like, but I think like I think that's like a I think that's a, a very valid um, understanding of what's happening. And I think like yeah, but I think my thing is I think that the overall you have to trust someone locally, but that makes your privacy globally much better if that makes sense. Yes. Um, because then when it ends up right now when it ends up on chain, it's pretty easy to figure out what your whole UTXO set is anyway, because you're publishing it if they're like published channels, there are unannounced channels, but I don't know. 
Um, supposedly those are semi easy to find now. Taproot changes some of this. So like, I think a lot of it anyways, but yeah, I think it's definitely when you get back to it, it's like a, who's your enemy here? Who are you protecting yourself against? Are you protecting yourself against the person who's going to ask you for them? Do you have good policies in place to like not reveal all of your stuff or maybe only reveal it to certain people? Or like maybe you value the ability to do coin joins with the 90% of honest people versus the 10% who are whatever. So you're okay. Like telling one person what a UTXO is. My whole thing with lightning is that I think at some point the UTXOs aren't as important as we think they are. And that while it's important to kind of maintain some amount of privacy around them, it's so easy to like cycle them through a different channel. So you tell someone what one is and then you cycle it through another channel. Like you do, then you do like one of these big mixes with another person. Well, that's gone. And then on top of that too, like with dual funded channels specifically, why, why wouldn't you just like, open a channel with somebody that you know and trust. Yeah. Like, and yeah. And if you do it with all people that you know and trust and have like, I think there's a lot of services now that are starting to do more reputation-based stuff. Mm-hmm. You could just use a whitelist. Yeah. Like, I think it's like, it's a problem, but I think it's a solvable problem with policies, if yeah. that makes sense. So um, what I'm trying to figure out is just well, not, just not supporting it. I mean, here's like, the other thing. Lightning Why not? Labs, is more optionality better here? Lightning Labs, I think so, yeah. And I think it's a really cool, exciting thing because you can build stuff like liquidity ads on top of it. Um, but here's the thing. I don't know. Pool, they Lightning Labs went and they knew I was working on the dual funding stuff. Like, like, like. Oh, they knew I was working on dual funding stuff. The same time we introduced dual funding, we introduced this other thing called liquidity ads, which are really, I think they're really cool. They're a decentralized billboard system embedded into the Lightning Network protocol that lets you advertise that you have funds you want to put into a channel. Mm -hmm. So if you want to provide inbound liquidity for someone else's node, you can advertise that way. You can advertise it. You put in your node announcement. It's like, I'm going to say 20 bytes, which is like less than like, you know, the node announcement contains other information, like what color your node is and what your alias is. Um, So we just add it in there. It's almost like adding a URL in mm-hmm. terms of data, it's like pretty small. So it goes into that note, that channel uh, note announcement that you already have. And basically it says, hey, I would like to provide liquidity. You can ask me to dual fund a channel with you and here are my rates for how much I'm going to charge you for that capital. Mm-hmm. And so when you initiate a dual funding request, if you also indicate that you want to like rent some liquidity from me, here's how much... I will ask, you will, you know, this is how much I want you to pay me um, for that liquidity and kind of has like a rate card. And so then, so the nice thing about this is that when you go to open a channel with someone like a dual funded channel, you can say, hey, I'd also like to, I'd also like for you to put money into this channel. I'm going to pay you a little bit for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of becomes this coordination mechanism then for like how to decide if you have capital you want to deploy when someone opens or sends a channel request to you, it becomes a way for you to decide like, Oh, they're paying me for it. I'm going to like put money in this channel. Cause it, I get stats for that. Yeah. Um, but so it's all decentralized. And so, yeah, you can get yield on your Bitcoin. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. It's like a decentralized bolt bulletin board system. I have no idea how many of these have actually, it's been live for a while now. I definitely know some people have done it. Um, well, that's the thing, right? Like, uh, how early are we? Right? Like, yeah, like I a, don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like I was showing you again. We're going back to this, this get mash thing. It looks really cool. It's very beautifully designed, in the very least. Uh, it will help you monetize content on the web. And Lisa and I were looking at. It. We can't tell 
we're pretty sure they're using lightning um, because of the demos that they're showing. But um, like, at what point? Because like, I envision as somebody like I've run the website, we have a large Lightning Network node, a lot of liquidity. It's been running nonstop since 2019, since May 2019. And we got some Bitcoin, and we're like, all right, let's talking to DJ or Dev. I'm like, how can we like do stuff with this? Like, I would love to like use these ads. Like, what what needs what needs to happen for this to get widespread adoption in your mind? Right? Yeah, I mean, implementations Just, have to adopt it, right? Yeah. So like Sea Lightning has it. Like again, we're kind of hoping to be like the reference implementation of it. Um, the exciting thing about liquidity ads is that it solves a big problem that providers, LSPs such as Async have. Mm-hmm. So the Async team who does the Phoenix wallet, yep. their implementation is called Eclair. Um they run probably one of the largest kind of like mobile wallet providers, right? And when you have a mobile wallet app, you have a problem that in order for people to receive payments, you as the the organization have to provide them inbound liquidity. Yes, they're opening channels automatically. Opening channels automatically, but that means they have to have the Bitcoin to yeah. give these people inbound liquidity to even make it useful like as an app. Fat treasury. Yeah. So like, you know, like the async node is one of the biggest on the network in terms of Bitcoin. My, I don't. I haven't asked them about it. But my understanding would be that's because they have to have all this Bitcoin to make inbound, to make it work, right? That, yeah, I mean that makes the most sense. Yeah. Right. So async. In order for them to scale, there's long term ability to accumulate a shit ton of Bitcoin. Well, accumulate a bit, or or they implement liquidity ads and they open up a marketplace such that their users can then get inbound liquidity from like outside. Outside of their organization, Uh, which is good for the network, right? Because all of a sudden, like, maybe we'll get some competing people who have a bunch of Bitcoin that want to be selling their inbound Bitcoin to people who are using Phoenix Wallet so that they can receive payments. Yeah, more node distribution, async's not some fat. No, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, things kind of decentralize a little bit more. And so the, the cool thing I think about liquidity ads is that it really does let the network decentralize itself. Like I'm really into building tools that kind of let people build more sustainable systems on top of it. If that makes sense. So yes. liquidity ads is like from like a, if, if, if I was running a startup and I needed metrics about how much my protocol was being used, liquidity ads would not be the thing that I would ship. Because I can't give you any metrics about how often people are using these things. I can tell you how many nodes have them up right now, but I can't tell you how much liquidity is out there available behind them. I can't tell you how many times people have used it. I can't tell you what people have been getting in return on it or whatever, because it's decentralized. Like, yeah. it's There's no central system that knows all that information. So what I'm trying to figure out, like, because I, again, use describing that you can't uh, show any of the user data because you mm-hmm. don't know it. Like now I'm thinking like, what's the process? If I'm a node operator and I want to provide Phoenix users inbound liquidity. You would publish a liquidity ad, right? Yeah, but like how would I get it to those users? Would I to like reach out to them? So the liquidity ads, every node that gets lightning would, gossip would they scrape gets it, it. Would they scrape the gossip for? Probably, like, yeah. yeah. And actually, um, Ellen Router just added a UI on top of liquidity ads. So you can go look at all the people that are offering liquidity ads now and yeah. see what kind of connections their nodes have. Because um, it's a liquidity ad lets you figure out which node in the network is advertising liquidity. So then you can, if you know, I don't know, if you're like, have certain things you're looking for 
in inbound liquidity, like maybe a certain level of connectivity or like inbound itself. Liquidity ads lets you go inspect that each, like every ad you can go kind of evaluate on its own merits. It's more work, et cetera. Maybe they'll make an easier way to do it. Yeah. But it definitely allows for that to happen. Yeah. No, it's, um, uh, it's fascinating because this seems, this stuff needs to get to market because then it lets you again, there's a bunch of people with a bunch of Bitcoin who aren't going to do anything with it, would like to get yield on it, would like to do it in a trust minimized fashion. Yeah. This provides that ability by these people now being able to get yield, to get more liquidity on the Lightning Network, which has more utility to the yeah. Lightning Network and people using it. But I think right. it'll be really, it's going to be really exciting, I think, when Phoenix adds it, because then there'll be a whole bunch of demand, I think, in a way that there's not so much right now. Yeah. Um, so that's really exciting. But okay, so here's the here's the kind of competing thing, though. Lightning Labs, in the meantime, when I was working on liquidity ads, went and built Pool, mm -hmm. which is a centralized service that has different properties than liquidity ads. They use a blind auction. My understanding is you don't know who you're matching with when you buy it, but it's a similar kind of idea. It's a, it's a way to buy inbound liquidity through an auction mechanic mechanism. Yeah. Yes. So auctions are great. They're really nice for price discovery. So one of the downsides with liquidity ads is you kind of have to figure out how much you want to make for your Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You can look at what other people are offering in liquidity ads. You can look at maybe what your own cost is, or maybe like you have a number you want to make that's worth it to you to lend it out. And so that's what you put on the thing. And you're like, here's my price. But you have to come up with a price yourself. Mm -hmm. When you have an auction, it's uh, the price is discovered, revealed via what people are willing to pay. Yes. So I think that's like a trade-off between the two systems, right? Um, I think it was just kind of interesting. I don't think there's necessarily like a right or wrong answer. I think Lightning Labs with the auction thing, I read up on market design a while ago, a really great book by, uh, I'm going to forget it. I have a whole blog post that I've been meaning to publish that kind of compares this like book on auction design by one of like the leading economists in the area in the U.S. to kind of what we've done with liquidity ads. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of fun. I'll get that out there. But one thing that he, one thing that like, when I was talking about this price thing where Liquidity ads lets you go and look at every individual node and decide whether what their liquidity is worth to you. And they tell you how much they want for it. And then you decide, you know, whether yeah. or not that's the one you want. Um, with the auction mechanic, once you have an auction and it's blinded, right? So you don't know who you're getting the money from. Mm -hmm. Once you have, in order to be able to do that, they have to grade the nodes for you. They have to tell you what grade of a node you're going to connect it to. So they have tier one and tier two nodes, right? Uh, is this where like bot scores comes this in? This is where bot scores comes in. Yeah. yeah. So as soon as you start trying to blind things out, so the, the auction book I was reading calls this like commodification. So you're basically, you're saying all of these nodes are basically the same. So we're put them in the same tier. And so mm. we're going to charge you the same for their liquidity. So you as a buyer. It's a reduced risk profile. So you, you pay or something, but it yeah. makes it such their auction wouldn't work if they didn't do that. You have to do that in order to run a blinded auction because otherwise you end up with like, how do you, then you could like, you'd have to price each of the nodes individually. Right. And so they bundle them all together and say, we're just pricing these all the same, mm -hmm. same tier of whatever. And the auction will help you find the price. Um, my theory is that like, that's, we're a little premature for that. I think as a network, I think liquidity ads is actually maybe the best mechanism right now because it gives people control about how much they want to ask for. I think it helps people you get. So I think that like the signal of how much liquidity costs comes from the people with the liquidity then, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, not from the buyers that are bidding on it. Yeah. I mean, that makes, 
sense to me. The person providing the liquidity says, hey, here's how much yield I'm looking. Here's how much, essentially, here's how much I'm looking for you to pay. Take it or leave it. And somebody yeah. on the other side is like, all right, that's what I got to pay. I need it. I'll pay it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Sense. I don't know. So I mean, this is just my theory. I, think I mean, I think auction has an auction has a merit to it as well. But there's, I think, yeah, there's trade offs, which is kind of cool because we have both now in Lightning. Um, I think one of the downsides is I don't think that the LND implementation is very incentivized to add liquidity ads to their implementation because they have a competing project, liquidity providing project. Yeah, exactly. I, I see this is where this is where as a Bitcoiner as somebody who's building on the line now I'm like what the fuck like what's going on moving forward well it's like incentive stuff, stuff right like, yeah, it's like incentives it's like, and stuff um, and so like I mean I think if labs so like I I was the one who introduced liquidity ads to lightning in 2018 and it's a brilliant idea it's such a great idea that the labs team went and implemented their own solution for it because um, it solves a real need that lightning like Lightning users and operators have, which is how to get inbound liquidity. And Bitcoin holders, how to get how to get returned on their stuff. Yeah, like in trusted ways where you know where the Bitcoin is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's like, I, I think it's an awesome idea. It's like one of those things where like, I wish that everyone had decided that liquidity ads was like the way to do it. Because uh, then it would exist for a lot more people, I think. It's been like three, almost four years now that like, this has been a project that, you know, has been out there and people have known about. Um, it doesn't, it hasn't been, only Sea Lightning's done it. I think, like I said, they're working on it. Cause like I said, it solves a real business problem for them. Mm-hmm. So they're like highly motivated, I think, to get it done. Um, but yeah, anyways, that's like. The inter, <laughs> the inter-implementation <laughs> negotiations. Yeah. Uh, well, like zooming out more broadly, how would you describe the current state of the Lightning Network? Um, That's like a, such a hard question to answer for me personally, because I tend to like, I'm I'm such a like, I can't look at anything when I'm trying to get something done, if that mm, makes sense. And I've been trying mm. to get things done and it feels like for years now. And you <laughs> haven't been year. able to pull your head up and be like, oh. Yeah, last year it was like doing the liquidity ad stuff. Like I had to get that, like that had to go out, you know, like people like, it needed to exist. And right now I'm working on getting like accounting done for Sea Lightning. I'm like super freaking excited about it. Hopefully, if it goes in this next release, this next release of Sea Lightning is gonna like blow people's socks off. Like, what's the uh, the accounting aspect of it? Running a node is like it's basically like a data collection of all the all of your money and where it's going and mm-hmm. why. Like, so like you'll have like better all of the data about where your money went. Like, invoice. so when a channel goes to chain, like an on closed chain thing, it'll let you like, I'm working, I haven't implemented this yet, but basically you can do this thing where you like, it shows you every single UTXO and where they all went. So like if they had HTLCs and stuff, you can see where they resolved to and where they ended up. Oh shit. Yeah. Is that surveillance? Well, it's just for your node. Yeah, so you just, it's just your local stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. all your, it's all your local stuff. Okay. I mean, it's all data that you would be able to maybe pull out of your lightning node but yeah, I don't know how. Yeah. Somehow. It's all in there. <laughs> it's in there. We're just making it so that you can like see it. And hopefully what I'm hoping is like then do like profit loss statements. Like what I'm working on like now, right now is like I finally got all the data in and now I'm like, it's like kind of a little more granular than I probably needed because like I'm an engineer and I wanted like all the data. But now I've got it all and I'm trying to figure out how to like roll it all up to like actionable like accounting data. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's your P&L. Where did you make money from? Which channels did you like get the most routing fees from? Yes. How much did you pay in on-chain fees for this channel? See, this seems like a very 
useful feature because then you can have people start tweaking their yeah lightning management. So my like and, yeah, and I was like yeah yeah. I think it's gonna like lead to like better usage of lightning, and I think better like you know you can actually like put an APY now at the bottom of the chart <laughs> that's like hey you put this much capital in, you've earned this much in rounding fees, you've earned this much leasing liquidity out, you've paid this much to lease to lease inbound. You've, you know, spent this, you've sent this many payments, you've received this many payment, you know, this much in payment stuff, whatever. Um, here's your APY on like whatever metric of how much you put into all this stuff. And like, we'll be able to like have all, we have all that data. It's pretty dope. Yeah. I'm just working on like, now I'm doing like the hard part, which is like, I have all the data. And now I just like need to like make it readable, <laughs> you know, but. Um, I'm so happy I'm not a developer. <laughs> yeah. This all seems Anyways, so daunting. I'm sorry. You asked about the ecosystem, though. And I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, mean, I, I shouldn't like, say I'm not. I'm so happy. I'm like I, I can't imagine doing your job. Oh, yeah. I think that's the, <laughs> the more polite and uh, the more uh, that's my intent of that comment. It's, there. I'm gonna be honest. Sometimes I get real stressed out because like I know what I want it to like. I know what I want the experience to be like. It's just like getting there just takes a lot of sweat and blood and tears, etc. And yeah. like getting to the end, it's nice. But there's always the next thing you want to do. <laughs> What's the next thing you want to do? Um, oh man, the next thing I want to do, I'm excited about this. Um, I don't know if I've told my team yet, but um, I want to change how we do channel fees on Lightning. Right now you can set a fee about how much, like a number and like a percent. I want to make it possible to charge negative fees. So Whoa. get this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This idea actually comes from Clara. A, a conversation I had with Clara at Bitcoin Miami last year. Um, but I think it's time. I think we need to add it. Here's the amazing thing that you get. And like, this is like, I feel like this is in the same category as liquidity ads. Like you build this little thing and then all of a sudden you can kind of get these cool ecosystems on top of them. Here's what negative fees does is it pays you money to send sats. So like you earn money by moving sats around. So you can, as a lightning node operator, incentivize people to rebalance your channel for you by making it a negative fee. So you pay, you pay a little them. bit, yeah. but it makes means that you can reuse that capital going the other direction mm -hmm. again. So my idea is that this introduces a form of arbitrage. So we could get arbitrage bots Whoa. on Lightning that are looking for these negative fee routes to push money around. And we end up getting an ecosystem of actors that are incentivized to keep balances in usable form. That's pretty sweet. Right? I'm trying to think. So it's kind of like creating like this whole class of like, I'm going to call them maids. I know bot operators probably don't like to think of from building maids, but like kind of like little liquidity servicers that make sure that like, so you don't have to like balance your channels. You can just maybe have something that when it gets to a certain point, you set the fee. I haven't really totally thought the whole thing out, but like some point, ideally you could set a negative fee and then someone would be incentivized to push the money back the other way because it gives them a little more at the other end of it. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think to like, because it seems like it'd be in, like on that, like if you offer up a negative fee, like it seems like it would get, go, like your channel would be balanced automatically because like you said, these maids, you could write a scraping function like, all right, who's offering negative yields and just like automatically take that. But like, yeah, does that create like a DDoS? I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm going through that. I don't know. I like this idea. I think it's interesting. I need to, yeah. it's clearly, this is like, we're very early stages. It just occurred to me last week that I should make this happen this year. And I like, haven't thought through the whole network dynamics quite yet. But I think it's like, I think it's what, I think it's going to be a really exciting new thing to put on Lightning. Yeah. It's like, it's, I think it's going to be wild. 
Well, like it already is wild. Uh, everything that's going on, like mm-hmm. what you can do. Like, what do you see the future of lighting? Like, how do you see humanity interacting with it? Oh man, is it scalable? Do chat apps make sense? <laughs> do social networks make sense? How much trouble am I going to get in today? Let's get you in a lot of trouble like, here, uh, Lisa. Man, I. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, man, lightning, you know, a lot of people in Bitcoin like to say like be your own bank. Yeah. And I think that lightning is the bankingest technology we have in Bitcoin. The bankiest? The bankiest technology that we have in Bitcoin. Um, because it requires, basically when you're creating a lightning channel, you're creating a banking settlement account. You're creating an agreement with another party that you will keep a balance between the two of you and you will like settle every moment. You you do settlement all the time, right? Yeah. Most banks have agreements with other banks. They have a big account, like the Federal Reserve. You know, when you said like Fedwire, there's one big account somewhere in like, let's say New York state that all the banks have put like a million bucks in each of their little, like, you know, it's a multi-party channel. I mean, this is the- uh, They just wheel the money between the little rooms, yeah, and, but it's all in the same building. And this is the, uh, the interest rate that- everybody focuses on is the Fed funds rate, which is the bank and the rate at which these banks change and settle there. Yeah. But like the physical way that they like move money between each other is like, it's all in like a room and each corner belongs, you know, that's the JP Morgan corner. That's the like bank of America corner. Maybe it's a little more electronic now, but like back in the day. Right. But it was basically a multi-party channel. Right. And so they just like, you know, they'd like sum up the accounts. Well, my users paid you 500, your users pay me whatever we like, find the difference. So I push you a hundred bucks, you know, I yeah. call it even. Um, that's like, that's, that's banking. That's how banks work. Like that's how intertwined settlement between banks, like used to work back in the paper days. Yeah. Like, you know, um, chant lightning channels are like the same thing. You make that like room where, you know, you put your money in it and then you just like use that money to settle back and forth. And at some point, maybe you need to like, um, empty it out or like add more or top up or something. Mm-hmm. But like, it's, that's like, that's, I don't know. For some reason, I just like, I'm like, that is, that is how like agreements between banks work. It's banking technology. You like put the money in, you have an agreement, you like send the money back and forth between each other. I mean, it's missing all the like deposit, like insurance, like not insurance, but um, there's no like interest rates and all that. This is like bank to bank communication, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Lightning is bank to bank communication technology. <laughs> to get in so much trouble it's like what is that? <laughs> like, well i don't see, i don't get why you think you're getting in trouble you said you, yeah you're acting like this doesn't this preclude somebody from being in their own bank like okay here's yeah here's your where own bank if you're on one side oh. here's where it gets oh. okay so here's where here's where it gets kind of spicy is that running a lightning channel is costly right and having enough capital so like these kind of banking agreements and having these sorts of banking relationships like channel relationships mm-hmm. are only useful in long running relationships where you're going to have a volume of exchange between yourselves right yes lightning channels are expensive to run otherwise because you're paying the on-chain fee you're paying rounding fees if you only use that capital once it is better if you're only going to use a lightning channel one time it is probably more cost effective to just send an on-chain payment because in order to open the channel, you have to like make it, pay, you have to make an on-chain thing and then you have to pay to send the payment. Yeah. Um, so like lightning channels make a lot of sense for like big relationships where you're sending money back and forth, you know? Mm. Okay. So now that we've established that it's like, the other thing is they're kind of expensive on-chain fees are like not going away. There's like a little bit of a maintenance cost in terms of like how much capital you have in reserve so you can pay on-chain fees if you need to. Um, 
So now we're talking about reserves. Like at some point, like how many how many people are going to own enough Bitcoin that opening lightning channels in that banner makes sense for them? Yeah. Some people don't want to keep capital locked up in a, an agreement. Like if you, I mean, I don't know how you use Venmo, but like I take all my money out of Venmo. I like use my Venmo money. I like, you know, it's like zero. And like, even if I did have money in Venmo, I'm not paying the same person every time. I'm paying 10 people. I recently got kicked off Venmo because I wanted to update my contact info. But no, I agree. I was the same way before then. <laughs> yeah, <know>. yeah. <laughs> Smarty's like zero, definitely zero dollars in Venmo. Um, I hope, yeah. <laughs> yeah nothing, <laughs> yeah. nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so like I think... You I, think it evolves into like a, a network for massive players only? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's like if you have, like, if you own, like, a Bitcoin, if you have that level of capital, you can be your own bank. There's a capitalization requirement, though, for yeah. being your own bank, I think is my thing. It's like, there's, and it's in, it's denominated in Bitcoin. Um, and, like, yeah, whether or not you want to, like, invest in that infrastructure and, like, setting up your thing. And, like, yeah, there are definitely benefits to being your own bank. Like, you can earn routing fees. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. set up the right relationships with the right, people and like provide liquidity in the right place and you earn more capital for using your capital that way. So what does this mean? I think it means we're going to see a lot more LSPs. Okay. I think that like, you know, like the cash app thing, which I'm assuming is custodial lightning wallet, like the cat, like the cash app just announced yeah, yeah. that they do lightning, right? Yeah, you don't yeah. have a lightning node on your phone. No, there's a lightning node somewhere in a server in San Francisco. Yes. Um, that has all the lightning channels and you are just borrowing. You're using the bank's lightning channels. Yeah. Like, uh, I think that's what, I think that's what like 95% of people's experience will be like. with lightning will be. Yeah. I know that's like not what people <laughs> want to hear, but I feel like it just, like, just, it just seems like we're, things are going to go. What does that mean? What does that well, mean for Bitcoin? Well, it means getting a banking license is real cheap. It's one Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, the, does, are we LARPing about Bitcoin? Is it uh I don't think it's a LARP, but I think that the capitalization requirements are high. Like, I don't think it's accessible. You know, it's like, then I think then it becomes like an accessibility question. Yeah. Right. And it's like, and then it's like, okay, accessibility at what level of participation, right? I mean, I think you can get into the lightning thing if you're like a real smart, like motivated person with a smaller amount of capitalization who's opening channels, et cetera. But a lot of these bigger routing nodes and stuff won't open a channel with you unless it's above a certain bar. Like it must be so high to ride. Yeah, we had Ben the car man recently up to upgrade his uh, yeah. his minimum channel open to 10 million sats. Yeah, exactly. Gotta be the side of ride. So yeah, I like, I think that's, I mean, it's like, you know, I like, I don't think I'm like saying something that's like, I mean, it's, I don't think it's like, I mean, I think it's crazy, but yeah, I don't know. Anyways, and I think, I think that I don't think lightning is going to be Bitcoin only forever. And I think that, that it's going to, I think we're going to start seeing, I don't know. Think we'll start seeing, lightning. You think we'll start seeing t stable coins and stuff like that as well? Or? I don't know. I like, I don't know. I like the thing about yeah, I, I really, like, I have no idea. I, like, I think we still got a lot of ways to go with, like, the Bitcoin stuff still. Like, I think that we haven't, like, the, I forgot the thing you showed earlier. Mash. You left up. Mash. Yeah. That's incredible. I think more stuff like that. Hasn't Mash, you're getting a lot yet. of free ad space today. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think there's, like, so much more stuff to be built on top of Lightning. Um and it doesn't, I don't think it's going to matter what the unit of account is, the settlement account is. 
I don't, I don't, like, I have no idea why people would want stable coins. I mean, I'm sure I know that like <laughs> Alex from like uh, the um, HRF. I think, uh, Alex, yeah. Yeah. Alex Gladstein from HRF, I think has a really great, um, he's done a lot of good writing and reporting kind of on why stable coins are important for reach of like Bitcoin um, and Bitcoin related technologies. So I'm going to leave that to him, but um, I, you know, I'm also going to like glibly say, I don't know why you'd want stable coins um, knowing that like Alex has done a lot of work about exactly why you would want to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyways. Lisa and in, and in the rip on a, on a spicy note here. <laughs> lightning uh no it does make sense i mean it, it, but i've been in, so my recent talking point at conferences when i go talk about lightning is um i'm like if you want like okay if lightning does become like the payment rails of the internet owning bitcoin is a way to like participate in the returns on that you know the fees of like you know some amount of fee is going to be generated from that so if you're bullish on like Lightning becoming the payment rails, like one reason to buy Bitcoin, there's a lot of reasons to buy Bitcoin, but one reason to buy Bitcoin would be because you want to have the currency that backs this like settlement layer yeah. and you want to be able to participate in gaining the earned returns on that from that settlement layer. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. <clears throat> one of many reasons to buy Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> however, do you think it becomes, Lightning becomes the dominant payment network? I think it has a real chance to. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the wild thing about lightning is how freaking international it is. Yeah. I don't think we've really, I don't think we've fully understood yet. It's coming. I don't think we've fully understood yet what that means for commerce. Yeah. Yeah. We got to start experimenting with can like, because I would describe like we're at these, this point, we have these implementations They've been in the wild for a few years now. It was four years now, right? Or yeah. Longer than that almost. Yeah. 20, I think the first thing went live in 2018. 2018, yeah. But it's been in the works since 2016. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I think something went live January, like probably coming up on the four-year anniversary. Mm -hmm. um, it's still so early, right? And like you don't even, people like on the consumer side or the business side, don't even know that they can leverage this network to build tools to create avenues for which they can accept money, payments, authentication as well. Like we didn't even get into like using yeah. a lightning node as a as a digital passport, if you will, that is self sovereign in a way. Yeah, hundred percent. But then you run into the identity problems, right? Yeah. Because if you like your privacy on Lightning <laughs> to a large extent means keeping people from knowing what your node ID is. If you start using it as a identity mechanism, well, then you've just tied your identity to your lightning node. Yeah. So now anytime anyone finds out where a payment is headed, they know who it's going to. Yeah. So, so there's like a trade-offs there, yeah. but yeah, it can definitely do that. It's like the first like public key infrastructure is kind of what that's called. Yeah. Which, yeah, you can do stuff. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. We're in the very raw phase right now. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's exciting stuff. Yeah. That's cool. Can I plug? I feel like we're wrapping up. No, you're Can not I? allowed to plug anything. Can I plug my thing? We're done. <laughs> okay. A small plug. Um, I'm doing like, so I just started a, I'm starting up some classes on Bitcoin protocol stuff. We're not doing lightning. We're going to start with the Bitcoin protocol, how Bitcoin transactions work. It's, I can't see. I only put it. It's fine. It's called Base58. Uh, you can find it at base58.info. <laughs> there we um, go. I'm going to be teaching class. It's a six weeks class on, um, 
six weeks. I think it's like 18 hours of class total. So we meet three hours a week. Uh, I've been, it's off of a book that I'm actually writing on how Bitcoin transactions work. So you'll learn what is a public key, what a private key is, how ECDH8, uh, no, yeah. You learn like ECDSA, sorry. ECDSA works. You'll learn about elliptic curves. We're going to figure out what all ECD, the different standards. ECDSA when Schnorr's coming? I don't know if we're going to get to Schnorr. There's okay. a lot to cover, Marty, before right, we get to right, Schnorr. Right. There's like, I don't know if we're going to have time. I don't know if like, you know, like putting this class together was so hard because there's so much material. And I have like, I have like probably like three months worth of class stuff I could do. And like, you know, we're starting with like the basics. Like, okay, here's like, if you want to learn about how transactions are put together, what's in them, how to write them by hand. Basically everything you learn, you need to know to like basically write your own Bitcoin, like transaction parsing machine. We're going to, we're going to do it. Yeah. Thank you. It's going to be great. I'm we really excited. More. We're going to go all the way in. It's not the cheapest class. I'm charging money. You can get 15% off if you pay in Bitcoin though. Thank you. Open node for your stack, uh, stack sats. Yeah. Stack and some sats. Um, but we're doing a free class on February 4th to kind of do like a prereq it's class. Mm -hmm. So my idea is that like anyone who can like type on a keyboard and is like curious, you got to be curious though. Type on a keyboard and is curious about Bitcoin can do this class is my thesis. What are, uh, what are your pupils going to be coming away from at this class once it's done? They're going to be able to, I could like hand you a Bitcoin transaction in hex and you'd be able to like tell me what all the parts are and break it apart and know what kind of script it is. Is it like paying a pub key? Is it paying to a script hash? Like you'll just, you'll know what, what it is. The difference between all that stuff, why each is important in its own context. And, yep, yeah. exactly. How to do SegWit stuff. Like, yeah, all that stuff. Oh yeah. So we're going to get through SegWit. I don't know if we'll get to Taproot. Maybe I'll like try and I need to like learn all the Taproot stuff still. Don't tell anyone I said that. Um, but like, yeah, maybe we'll tack that on. I don't know how big that is as a project. That might be like a whole nother like three week class or something, you know? Um, I don't know. It's like, yeah, you want to like learn how Bitcoin like works at the transaction level. Yeah. Base58.info if you guys are interested. Yeah. In that. Free class on February 4th. Follow us on Twitter. We're Base58BTC. We'll link to this too. Okay, dope. Lisa's also on the board of OpenSat. She's trying to shill that as well, but Matt, Matt shills it enough on our HR. I'm kidding. OpenSats, if you want to contribute to uh, Bitcoin development, OpenSats is a great organization um, doing great things too allocate funds to developers. Excited. Now, what do you got going on tomorrow? LARP? Oh, yeah. I forget about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> tomorrow night, we're running a LARP, a live action role play of the Bitcoin network here in Austin. We're going to do it at the Capital Factory. There's an event, right? You can probably just show up. Starts at 530. <laughs> what is a live action role play of the Bitcoin network? So before? like, I mean, it, I've got like mining machines. They're not, they're like, I've got some like, you know, you've got like blocks and you got transactions and you got people making transactions suspended. And then you, once you get a transaction, you got to send it to your peers. I guess like, uh, hang on, sorry. I'm really bad at explaining how this works. It's like, <laughs> it's like people running, being a node. Mm -hmm. So you, you have a role, like, so, you know, you're role playing, right? You have, the role that you're playing is a Bitcoin node. It's okay. so like get put people in groups. So like I've discovered you got to put them in groups like five or six because these nodes are doing a lot. There's a lot of stuff yeah. happening. Receiving so, transactions. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, usually and... one or two people manning the communication lines between all the other nodes in it. So we actually like have strings and you like string up. Everyone's got a connection, physical connection. Like, <laughs> um, and then we've got little like rings. You put a message on the ring and like send it down the wire. 
somebody, the other side. Somebody controlling the mempool inside the node. Yeah, then there's a mempool in the node and okay. then we've got a UTXO set. And so when you get new data from your peers, you got to make sure it's, it's good data. And then if it's good, you know, if it's bad, you throw it out. And maybe you ban the peer or something. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. And then if it's good data, you like got to tell everyone else about it, right? Yes. You send, everyone's got to get all the info. So you like let everybody know you got some new info. And then you add it to your set. And then at some point, the transactions will make it into the, the you know, transactions go in the mempool. At some point, these transactions end up in the mempool of a miner. Mm-hmm. And the miners are making new blocks. And so they're going to put, a, they're going to look through the mempool, decide which transactions they want, put those inside their block template that they've got. Then they're like, then they've got like a crank they turn to try and like get the winning hash number. <laughs> and so like they can't send out a new block till they get a winning hash number. And so then once the miner gets a winning hash, they like put it on the block, get it to the node. The node has to validate the new block, right? Make sure it's valid. And then they get to tell everyone in the network. Meanwhile, there's miners and other nodes that are doing the same thing. Holy crap. You're like fighting for having the longest block because, you know, you want to get that Coinbase output as the miner. How many blocks are you going to be doing this for? Dude, I have no idea. It usually goes like five or six and then just like fall the fuck apart. (laughs) Like Everything like goes crazy. People get tired of writing because there's a lot of writing. Nice thing about computers is when you copy something, it makes a copy and it takes like a second, right? Yeah. When you're human and you're trying to copy a thing, you got to like sit there and like write it out. So there's some down sides to being a human computer but it's fun well if you want to go to little arp it'll be here around the corner from where we are we're at the bitcoin commons tftc studio right now um this will be at the capital factory though yeah. and we'll be seeing you at bit devs tonight yeah i think i'm gonna be here yeah all right sweet all right you gotta run okay cool. this was oh, wow. great yeah this is fun cool we should do this more often when you're in town it sounds great yeah all right uh we're gonna find out more about you what you're working on. We just shield a lot of this stuff. But. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's Base58BTC on Twitter. And then I'm Nifty Nye on Twitter. I tweet random shit all the time. It's good shit. It's good <laughs> shit. I like it. Um, go follow. Go follow, Lisa. Cool. And enjoy the rest of your day, freaks. We'll be back for RHR at 1 p.m. Peace and love. Bye. <laughs>